There are signs that Allah will grant victory to Islam in the Europe without swords, without conquest. We don't need terrorists. We, need, we don't need homicide bombers. The 50 plus million Muslims in Europe will turn it into a Muslim continent within a few decades. From Syria, Xinjiang, Rakhine, Kashmir, there is a pan-Islamism connect and this there is a demographics that addresses that pan-Islamism movement. If you remove the demographics of Muslims, then this pan-Islamism connect will fall to its knees. Demographic stability right now in terms of Indian civilization was challenged by convergence and immigrants. Uh, availability of basic human uh, needs uh, challenged by population explosion and environment degradation. Centralized government structure is now right now challenged by uh, rebellion states. Population of all Indian-born religions are declining. Not only Hindus, the population of all Indian-born religions are declining. And I'll show you the stats uh, regarding this. That here is the uh, population percentage growth and population percentage. Uh, Hindus. Uh, have come down to 79.8% which is population percentage decline uh, is 0.6%. Six, 1.7% which uh, decline uh, somewhere counts near around 0.2%. Buddhist 0.7%. Population decline uh, percentage is 0.1%. Jains 0.02%. So there is a const uh, there is a decline in Indian born religions and why I am pressing upon this point of Indian born religions because Indian born religions are the real repositories of Indian civilization. Once they're gone, there will be no Indian civilization. Hello, Namaste everyone. This is Avinash Vasist. Let me uh, first uh, introduce myself. That I am a law graduate from Aligarh Muslim University. And I have been enrolled as an advocate in Delhi Bar Council. And right now I am working as a legal associate for Surgeon Foundation. Uh, and first of all, let me extend my gratitude towards Sijan Foundation and especially Rahul Divanji. So my present topic is dangers of demographic change in India. So first of all to address uh, this issue, first we have to go some basics. Uh, so the basic question uh, that first arises is that what is demography? Demography is basically a game of numbers. Uh, in academic discourses we used to call it a quantitative study of population. Now what does that mean exactly? Uh, is if I would like to put it in a layman construct, then the entire edifice of demographic studies basically revolves around three questions. How far, how much and how well. How much denotes the size of population, how far denotes the distribution and how well denotes the composition of population. Now as far as the subject matter domain of demographic studies are concerned, initially it is restricted to count birth and death rates. But then subsequently this, their, its scope has widened and now we used to study whole lot of issues uh, which basically comprises urban congestion, labor force statistics, defense strategies, explaining economic slowdown, understanding geopolitical calculations. Uh, now the next basic question is that why demography is at all an issue? So I have two submissions. First that for uh, demographic stability is the predominant factor in the continuance of any civilization. And my second contention is that if a demographic change go unchecked, then it will trigger uh, civil wars. Now, I don't want anyone to take my words for granted. So I have substantiated my contention uh, with uh, the observations of certain Greek and Roman uh, scholars who have observed firsthand the fall of their civilizations. So, so first one is Polybus. He's a Greek historian. He wrote account the histories. In that account, he observed that in our times, all Greece was visited by a dearth of children 
and generally a decay of population owing to which the cities were denuded and inhabitants and a failure of productiveness resulted. Our men become perverted to a passion for show and money and the pleasures of an idle life and accordingly either not marrying at all or if they did marry refusing to rear the children that were born. Next scholar which I would like to quote is Roman Emperor Augustus. He, he, he gave a very wonderful account on Roman on the fall of Roman civilization and he basically uh, made this observation uh, regarding the fall of civili Roman civilization. Uh, we liberated slaves chiefly for the purpose of making out of them as many citizens as possible. We give our lives a share in the government that our numbers may increase. Yet you Romans of the original stock. Now I want your attention to this word original stock. Here uh, this uh, man Augustus is referring to a uh, original Roman race. Uh, then he uh, proceeds that eager yet you Romans of the original stock eager that your families and names at once shall perish with you. And this was the same man who uh, subsequently big, brings a legislation to increase the birth rate in Roman nobility. So now you can understand that from the civilizational perspective how uh, important this demographic stability is. And not only this, if you go by the accounts of economists then they, some of them have predicted that the cause of great depression and great recession is uh, demographic instability. And let me quote here Canadian economist Clarence Barber who wrote on the causes of great depression uh, that the stock market crash in October of the same year was preceded by a decline in demand. Barber argues that began with a lower formation of household concomitants with lower rates of marriage. So even from economic perspective, demographic stability is a very important factor. Uh, now the second contention which I am raising here is that if demographic change go unchecked, then it will result into civil wars. And for, the, for, for substantiating that contention, I have uh, just analyzed certain crises which are right now going on across the globe. To, to demonstrate you that how demographic change can trigger civil war crisis. Now the first uh, crisis which I would like to talk is the de demographic crisis which is currently going on in Europe. Uh, then I'll come to Syria and the rise of talk of some, something about rise of ISIS. Uh, then crisis in Yemen. Then I'll talk upon uh, the uh, Xinjiang conflict in China. Uh, then I'll come upon Kashmir, Myanmar and then Arab-Israeli conflict. So let's come to our first point that is demographic crisis in Europe. So let me begin by the words of uh, Muammar al-Gaddafi who is a Libyan dictator. He made a very interesting observation on the demography of Europe and his, his observation goes like this. There are signs that Allah will grant victory to Islam in the Europe without swords, without conquest. We don't need terrorists, we, need, we don't need homicide bombers. The 50 plus million Muslims in Europe will turn it into a Muslim continent within a few decades. So now from uh, from his observation you can understand that he was basically promoting a demographic change in as a tool of war and I, i'll show you that how this uh, demography is right now currently changing in uh, europe so first we have to understand that what is the basic standard of fertility rate in europe so as per the expert opinions and demographers a bare minimum standard on which a civilized continuance of any civilization stands is 2.1 that is the basic standard fertility rate now if it goes down to 1.9 fertility rate, then uh, historically it is not possible to reverse that, that cycle. And if it goes further down by 1.3, then it is almost impossible to fix that demography. Uh, because it takes almost 80 to 100 years to fix that gap again. And there is no economic uh, model in the world uh, that can sustain a culture to that extent, to this uh, time span period. Of 
then uh, let's do a reality check of uh, European countries, uh, their fertility rate. So France has fertility rate 1.8, England 1.6, Greece 1.3, Germany 1.3, Italy 1.2, Spain 1.1 and other European countries uh, somewhere stood around 1.38. So now you can see if you check, if you compare it with the bare minimum standard, which is 2.1, they are far below than this standard. So, but there is an interesting fact here that the population of Europe is not on decline. And the reason is Islamic immigration. All population growth censuses in Europe account that in, since 1990, uh, that 90% has been the contribution of Islamic immigration. So now we can understand the gravity of immigration going on in Europe. If we take, take the test case, uh, France, then France native population is 1.8 per family. And if we see Muslim immigration fertility rate, then it is 1.8.1 per family. So now you can understand the gap. There is uh, some more interesting facts about it that 30% of children aged 20 and younger are Islamic. And in cities like Paris, that percentage has gone up to 45%. Southern part of France, which was known for churches, now outnumbered by Islamic mosques. As per the predictions, in the upcoming four decades, Islam France will become a fully full-fledged Islamic state. Now, if we talk about Germany, then the fertility rate of native Germans is far worse than, than what France is having. It's somewhere stood around 1.3 per family. I'm talking about native Germans. Now, German Federal Statistics Office has made a very catchy observation on this fertility uh, ratio that the fall in the native German population can no longer be stopped. Its downward spiral can no longer be reversible. It will be a Muslim state by 2050. Uh, then uh, I want to uh, impress upon a, a, a meeting which was organized by 24 Islamic nations at Chicago somewhere around uh, 2005 or 2006. Uh, transcripts of that meeting somehow falls in the public domain which revealed a sinister agenda of Islamization of entire America through planned immigration and by increasing fertility rates. That plan also reveals detailed plot to plant committed individuals towards Islam in journalism, politics, academia and more. This is the documented fact of this meeting. Uh, in that same transcript, an observation was made that in upcoming three decades, there will be 30 million Muslims in America. So now you can understand that how this demography is used as a tool of war. Uh, now I want to finish this European context uh, with the words of Algerian president who was addressing UN in 1974. He made an observation that one day millions of men will leave southern hemisphere to go to the northern hemisphere and they will not go there as friends because they will go there to conquer it with their sons. The wombs of our women will give us victory. So here they are not talking about suicide bombers. They are not talking about weapons. They are talking about wombs of women. So you can understand that they are, they are basically planning to just change the entire demography of Europe. Uh, now, if you compare this Gaddafi and uh, this, um, this man, Algerian president, Huare uh, Bomedini, so there is a time span of four decades. Yet the consistency of making determination to Islamize the Europe remains same. So now you can understand that they are committed individuals and they are uh, sitting on high offices. So when they are saying that their plan is to, uh, uh, to change the demography of Europe, then uh, they must have some backup behind them. And now, uh, I just want to discuss the rise of ISIS also in terms of demography. Now, if I conduct a short snap poll, uh, what do you prefer to call this organization? I have two options for you, a terrorist organization or an Islamic terrorist organization. So, 
and anyone who go by this uh, option A, terrorist organization? No? So let's see in terms of demography, uh, how we figure out the terminology. So this is the map of Syria. Here are the areas uh, which were captured by ISIS when it was at, at its peak in 2015. Aleppo, Raqqa, Mosul, Tikrit, Al-Qaim, Ramadi, Fallujah. All these areas were captured by ISIS. Now, if I ask you to guess how much time span it takes ISIS to capture these areas, uh, what would be your answer? Huh? One month? No. <laughs> That's... It takes only one year time span to capture all these areas. Now, the question arises that can this can this all be possible without a strong demographic calculation in your favor? No, it is not possible. And I'll show you what is the demography of Syria that favors the rise of ISIS. Composition of Syrian population: 85% Muslim population country, 75% among them were Sunni Muslims. Now, President Assad, who is the current president of Syria, he comes from an Alawite sect. Now, Sunni Muslims, hardliners, they don't consider Alawites as Muslims. Now, if you look at the model of governance of uh, President Assad, he was trying to promote secular Arabism, which triggered the sentiments of uh, Sunni Muslims, and they thought that it is the erosion of their power. So, the and the flashpoint arises on the point that when uh, this Assad government puts ban on the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, it triggers the it again triggers the sentiment of uh, Sunni Muslims and now they uh, now they thought that uh, there is no other solution just to pick up arms and just topple down this government and this 75% Sunni Muslim population play a role of game changer in the rise of ISIS so then we call this ISIS a Sunni Muslim terrorist organization this is the correct terminology uh, it's neither an, a terrorist organization nor an Islamic terrorist organization it is basically a Sunni Muslim terrorist organization now let's come to the crisis uh, of Yemen. Now, if you see the map of Yemen, the northern region is heavily dominated by Sunni Muslims and the southern part was dominated by Shia Muslims. Now, uh, there has been a domestic conflict going on uh, qu for quite long, uh, but this sectarian conflict was basically a conflict between Sunnis and Shias. And if you see the demographics of Yemen, the 90% of Yemen population is Sunni Muslims and 10% among them were Shia Muslims. So, what happened, both these groups are fighting with each other uh, uh, to claim that the right to form the legitimate government. And uh, what escalates the crisis is that uh, this Abdullah, this Ali Abdullah Saleh, he was uh, dominating this, this Sunni Muslim group. Uh, he, wa he was going to, uh, to pray in a mosque and uh, one suicide bomber exploded the mosque. Uh, he somehow escaped to Saudi Arabia and uh, he asked them to intervene uh, physically and to uh, wipe out these Shia Muslims. And uh, Saudians agreed, they, they bombed uh, Shia-dominated areas. Now what happened in response is that uh, these Shia-dominated dom Shia groups, they approached to Iran and they asked them to intervene against Saudians. So now uh, Iran has also joined this war. So uh, this Yemen crisis is basically a test case to show that how a certain demographic triggered the civil war crisis uh, and brings geopolitics also into it. And if you talk about the casualty statistics, then uh, as per the UN estimates, if this uh, crisis will go on, then 40 million people will at the risk of starvation. Uh, now let's come to the Xinjiang crisis. If we see the demographics of Xinjiang, then Uyghurs are 45.84% uh, in population. Han Chinese uh, are the second largest, which constitutes 40.48%. And then comes the ethnic minorities. Uh, so, the, uh, if, you, if you want to understand the Xinjiang crisis, then first you have to understand the grievances of both sides. 
what are the grievances of uyghur muslims and what are the grievances of chinese government so the grievance of uh, uh, uyghur muslims is that there was a continuous demographic change in their area through han migration uh, uh, and the second their second contention is that there was an environmental and agriculture degradation going on and there are uh, lack of uh, employment opportunities so if you ask me that uh, how far i i see the, their contentions is so i will tell you that uh, yes their first contention that is that harm migration is going on in their area yes that's true because stats tell us that uh, from 6% in 1945 uh, han chinese population has grown up to 45% by 1980 in this uh, xinjiang uyghur region now if you look at uh, look this problem from the perspective of chinese government uh, then uh, the basic contention which chinese government have is that first there is an issue of cult issue, uh, cultural assimilation now what does that mean that uyghur muslims are not uh, uh, are not looking to assimilate with the culture of han chinese which is the mainstream chinese population culture second contention of chinese side government side is that there was a uh, connect of there is a connect of pan islamism with this uyghur muslim population and what is pan islamism pan islamism is a, pl a political idea ideology of islam which uh, which talks about establishment of islamic caliphate across the globe uh, it has its connect in uh, uh, connect from turkey but if you go by the historical genesis of this pan islamism idea then it dates back uh, since the advent of uh, islam because if you look at the military expeditions of Prophet Muhammad, uh, then uh, this idea is very much visible in his uh, military expeditions. And this uh, this idea of pan-Islamism get a setback uh, somewhere around 1967 uh, when uh, these uh, Muslim countries uh, lost their war in the Six Days War with Israel. Uh, now they 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 felt a setback, but in 1990 uh, there was a revival of this idea again. And Turkey took a lead to, uh, to, to, to just fantasize this pan-Islamism uh, and uh, try to build a network of Islamic Jihad across the globe. Now, now, the third contention which Chinese government has is that nexus of global terror organizations. Now, uh, you might have come across a recent uh, attack on Pakistan, uh, on Chinese embassy in Pakistan which was conducted by militants of uh, Pakistani origin and the reason they give uh, behind that attack is that look China is oppressing Uyghurs so we are, uh, we, are, uh, we are justified in attacking Chinese embassy. So there is a global nexus also running behind the scenes and then we have a fourth contention of Chinese government is that geopolitics. Chinese have witnessed a Chechenian crisis in Russia. And they understand it's a well-documented fact that in Chechenia, there was an involvement of foreign jihadists there. It's a well-documented fact. So Chinese are basically fearing that if we not suppress this Uyghur movement, then it may connect with a global jihadist network. And then uh, this Uyghur problem will also stand similar to uh, this Chechenian problem. And then fifth contention of Chinese government is law and order issue. So basically, they, if, you, if you look at the Xinjiang crisis, there again there was a demographic angle behind it. So that's what uh, triggers the suppressing act action of Chinese government. Uh, uh, then if I put demographics uh, in the context uh, behind this uh, Islam, pan-Islamism movement, then uh, diagram looks like this. From Syria, Xinjiang, Rakhine, Kashmir, there is a pan-Islamism connect and this there is a demographics that addresses that pan-Islamism movement. If you remove the demographics of Muslims, then this pan-Islamism connect will fall to its knees. So they, if you look all these crises, there is a demographics that is answering that pan-Islamism connect. Now food for thought here is that, is there any country which has successfully tackled this pan-Islamism effects on its demography? There is no country but one and that is Israel. And how Israel 
fix that demographic uh, connect is that uh, Israel since 1950 passed a law a law called law of return allow Jewish immigration to freely settle in Israel uh, anytime and any place in 1970 Israelis have broadened this law so this law says that if you have an ancestry of a Jew then you can come and settle in Israel so that's how this scope has broadened up in July 19 and recently in July 19 2019 Israel made a significant change in her constitution departed away from secular character of the state uh, declared Israel as a full-fledged Jewish ethnic state so now you can see that how Israel is determined in terms of laws to, to fix this issue of uh, demography. Now the over impa overall impact of these legislation is that uh, the uh, immigration of Jews is on rise, fixing of fertility rates, promotion of Jewish values and culture. Over the past decade, the Muslim annual population growth has fallen and overall Jewish, Jewish growth rate rose from 1.4% uh, to 1.7%. So now you can see that how legislation can work to fix the demography of Israel. Uh, and even if you go by the stats, demographic stats of Israel, then in year 2000, Jewish population growth is 2 point somewhere around 2.66%. Uh, and Muslim population is around 4.74%. But uh, with the impact of these all legislations, this demography has now been fixed. And in to, as per the 2018 census, uh, Jewish population has risen up to 3.7% which uh, somewhere almost stood equally around Muslim growth rate percentage that is 3.20. Uh, now food for thought is that since I am talking so much about these conflicts and war, is there any correlation between these wars and demographic change? Yes, there is a correlation and the correlation stands on the point uh, that uh, in non-conflict zones, demographic shapes demography shapes very gradually. So it doesn't come in our notice. But in war conflict zones, this demographic pace is much faster and it comes uh, in notice almost immediately. So the correlation stands on the point that war is nothing but a demographic change but at a faster pace. And the textbook reference uh, in the present time is Rohingya crisis. You can see that uh, overnight how the demography of Rakhine state has uh, changed. Uh, now uh, since I have begun my presentation from talking from civilizational construct, so let us examine that what are the standards on which civilizational existence uh, breeds. Uh, there are basically six factors uh, and those factors are demographic stability uh, obviously and then second one is availability of basic human needs that is sh food, shelter and water and then third one is centralized government and the fourth one is social unity, fifth one is division of labor and sixth one is viable economy. Now if you, if you, if you draw a reality check on Indian civilization uh, then it looks like this. Demographic stability right now in terms of Indian civilization was challenged by convergence and immigrants. Uh, availability of basic human uh, needs uh, challenged by population explosion and environment degradation. Centralized government structure is now right now challenged by uh, rebellion states. For example, if you take the current example of NRC, then uh, uh, this uh, West Bengal government recently Mamta Energy come up with a statement that look, we are not going to implement this NRC, do whatever you want to do. So that's, that's again a sort of conflict going between centralized form of government and then state rebellions. And I don't see a possibility that uh, this, will, this conflict will minimize, it will further increase in the near future. And then we have the social, uh, social unity parameter, uh, which was right now facing a challenge on the point of Naxalism and Islamism. Now, if you 
if you generate a culminating effect of all these four factors then it will certainly going to have a negative impact on economy so the on the out of those six factors the only one factor which is right now surviving is division of labor yes we have that and it is beyond any question now here the question arises that did india has ever witnessed the consequences of demographic change in the past what would be your answer yes uh, yes. sir no sir any particular uh, major incident uh, anything more of more of gravity yes we do okay fine i'll settle the question uh, yes we do have witnessed and we have witnessed it in the form of partition of india now if you go by the casualty statistics of partition of india then we have deaths 1 to 2 million displaced our uh, 10 to 12 millions missing 2 millions rapes 75 uh, 75000 to 1 lakh and they were under reported abduction 60000 so this is the cost we have paid in terms of demographic change and yet we are going to repeat this mistake again food for thought is why indians are still so ignorant about the demographic ch uh, changing demographics in india since we have paid such a huge huge cost then why we still we are ignorant about this demographic change now there are certain factors that are responsible uh, for for this ignorance and those factors are first demographic change is a slow phenomena which i have already mentioned in my previous slides uh, it acts in a subtle way but behind the scenes so it is not easily uh, traceable uh, or it doesn't comes in notice uh, very immediately uh, unless some big change you see in the in terms of demographic change then media misleads now i ask you question that uh, uh, regarding this rise of isis how many articles have you read uh, which shows that there is certain demographics in syria which is escalating this crisis at least i have read not, no article so uh, there are media misleads also and i washes Uh, then lack of subject centric data by lack of subject centric data i mean if i ask you that give me a data on uh, real time data on convergence in india are you able to give that no because there is there, there is no subject centric data on that then we have fourth param the fourth reason that is lack of academic connect uh, you might have come across uh, the statement of the army chief bipin rawat who has uh, made a comment on the changing demographics of assam and outrightly his statement was branded as that he was promote he was playing some politics and he was acting as a spokesperson of bjp and rss if there is an academic connect which can substantiate his statement with some data then nobody will take that as his statement so you can understand that there is a lack of academic connect with the strategy policy planning also and then the fifth cause is that fear among academicians are academicians fear of being bullied and branded with certain ideologies that's another reason and the last one is lack of civilizational importance among indians look jews have lost 6 billion people and they have their grand narrative called antisemitism we have lost 200 around 200 to 300 million people in foreign invasions where is our grand, grand narrative there is no grand narrative why we don't have a grand narrative this is because of lack of civilization sense in our people then let's come to the census uh, uh, on indian population uh, as per government census 2011 india has a population of around 1.2 billion people now i have two news to share with you here one is bad and other one is good the bad news is that we are already a population of billion people and this number is keep on rising as per the un estimates by 2030 we will outgrow china in terms of population and the gravity of population could be under population explosion could be understood from the fact that absolute addition to the population in the recent decade 2001 to 2010 is slightly lesser than brazil population which is fifth most populous country in the world
Now the good news is that although India continues to grow in size, but its space of net addition is on decrease. The rate of growth between 2001 and 2011 represents sharpest decline over a decade since independence. And that sharpest decline somewhere stood around 17.64%. Now, before celebrating this, uh, this news uh, of, uh, that we are declining in terms of growth rate, first we have to understand that what is this growth rate? So I am just I am just giving you a glimpse of a calculation of that how we calculate this growth rate. So if we take the census of two, population census of 2001 and 2011, then what we have to do in uh, in order to calculate this growth percentage, we have to subtract population census of 2001 from the population census of 2011, and the resultant we got is in is in the green box. You can see that. Now what we have to do is that this uh, green box we have to divide this green box figure. Uh, 2001 population census and the resultant uh, we got we have to obviously multiply it by 100 to get the percentage so this is how we get the percentage and if you want to calculate if you want to calculate an annual growth percentage then you have to simply divide it by 11 so this that, that's how we got this 17.6 percent growth rate now before celebrating this new news of that we are declining in terms of growth rate first we have to understand that who is actually declining in terms of growth rate so uh, I have gathered some census data uh, religion wise. So you can see that uh, Hindus are constantly declining since 1951 though I have not covered it in my slides uh, uh, due to some space problem that uh, Hindus are declining constantly and uh, uh, in 2011 their growth rate percent is uh, somewhere stood around 6.76% which has come down from 19.92%. Now, Muslims, as far as Muslims are concerned, till nine, nine, year 1991, their growth rate percentage was an increase. But in since 2001, uh, their growth rate percentage is also on decline, and it is on the sharpest decline uh, ever before the independence. Now, uh, this decline, this this decline in Muslim population is read by media as. Uh, somebody who is raising concerns about population rise of Muslims as some BJP RSS propaganda and I can show you the media reports the see that see just read the headlines what the data tells us are Muslims responsible for India's population growth not quite four out of five Indians will still be Hindus even when Muslim population at peak minority reports Muslim family is shrinking fastest among Indian communities Drop in fertility rate among Indian Muslims and the impact of girls education. I have gone through all these media reports and they are giving an impression that uh, this demographic uh, crisis problem in India is just a BJP RSS propaganda and nothing. So I want to debunk this uh, media projection and I have noted down my objections on it on this media projection and those objections are this. If you see the religion wise stats of growth percentage population then first in case of Muslim, the average count is missing. Uh, now, uh, I will show you that table again. This is the religious wise data. And you see since 1981 or uh, the, even uh, Hindus are declining since 1951. You can see there is a consistent decline. But in terms of Muslim population, the decline has been observed uh, only after 2001. So the average count is missing. If you count the average of population percentage growth rate then the difference somewhere stood around uh, 9% in terms of average growth count uh, that difference is in Hindu growth percentage and Muslim growth percentage so you can see that that average count is missing which media obviously uh, didn't tell you and then we have uh, uh, my second objection is that consistency in decline is missing again that consistency aspect 
that not only the average count but the consistency is also missing uh, and uh, now let's come to another point that is the population of all indian born religions are declining not only hindus the population of all indian born religions are declining and i'll show you the stats uh, regarding this that here is the uh, population percentage growth and population percentage uh, hindus uh, have come down to 79.8% which is population percentage decline uh, is 0.6% six 1.7% which uh, decline uh, somewhere counts near around 0.2% buddhist 0.7% population decline uh, percentage is 0.1 jains 0.02% so there is a const there is a decline in indian born religions and why i am pressing upon this point of indian born religions because indian born religions are the real repositories of indian civilization once they gone, there will be no Indian civilization. Uh, and this is the graph which I have uh, show, which I have uh, made to show this population decline. You can see that uh, the uh, this uh, blue uh, blue color uh, mark is basically a Hindu population uh, percentage previously, and now it has come down to this red mark. And same is the projection in case of Sikh, Buddhists, and Jains. Uh, though they are declining at the pace of 0 point something then so it is not quite more visible in this uh, graph but yes they are declining that's the fact now uh, as per 2011 census hindus are already in minority in eight states 2.5 percent in lakshadweep mizoram 2.75 nagaland 8.75 percent meghalaya 11.53 percent jammu and kashmir 28.44 uh, percent arunachal pradesh 29 percent Manipur 31.39%, Punjab 38.40%. Now, again, a question arises that what is the status of Hindus in other states? We are clear about this data. Now, what is the status of Hindus in other states, especially the volatile one? Are they, are, are they declining there too? So, I have just uh, noted down a data of from two, since 2001 census uh, of uh, the volatile states in, uh, in terms of demographic change. And those states were Uttar first is Uttar Pradesh. You can see that Hindu population is on decline. It from 80.61%, it has come down to 79.73%. But in case of Muslim, it has uh, it has uh, risen up from 18.49% to 19.26%. And then we have Bihar. In Bihar, Hindu population is on decline, 83.68% to it has come down to 82.68%. But in case of Muslims, uh, they are on uh, they are on rise 16 16.53% to 16.86% and mind you even 0.1% uh, will makes a difference because we are talking uh, here numbers in crores so you can understand it uh, then we have kerala hindu population is on decline it has come down from 56.16% to 54.72% then we have muslim population uh, which is again on rise 24.69% to 26.56% then there is assam 64.88% uh, Hindu population has come down to 61.46% Muslim population has risen up from 30.91% to 34.22% So you can understand the gap here with the passage of time uh, this gap uh, increases more more volatile these states will will become uh, Now there is West Bengal uh, Hindu population has come down from 72.47% to 70.53%. So in case of Muslims, that population has risen up from 25.24% and uh, to 27.07%. And there is no need to tell that what is going on in West Bengal right now. Uh, now come to the aspect of Christianization of Northeast of India. Demographic demographics of northeast had witnessed a sweeping demographic change in terms of christian population growth the growth rate percentage of christians in northeast india is way higher than usual 
and uh, to judge that situation first we have to make a standard that on what standard what basis standard uh, we are going to judge the population of christian population in northeast so i have taken kerala as a base case base standard case so this is the population census of uh, kerala in 2001 then 2011 i have calculated the growth rate percent and uh, it somewhere stood around 1.38% now if we see that situation in northeastern states arunachal pradesh growth growth rate somewhere stood around 103 103.7% now you can compare 1.38 with 103.7% see the gap then mizoram in mizoram their growth rate percent is 23.7% which is again way high than usual when when we examine it with in as the base standard of kerala now manipur 59.88% meghalaya 35.8% sikkim 67.5% so now you can you can you just compare it with the base standard 1.38% now you can understand the gap the at what at what pace this christianization of northeast is going on and uh, if i if i show you it uh, through a graph then here kerala lies as the base standard and that blue line depicts the standard base standard on which a population growth rate should be and these this is the graphs for northeastern states graph bars so you can understand the gap it is easily visible in the graph now whenever i talk about demographic changes across the across india i frequently uh, asked with the question that what if muslims goes in majority why is that a problem at all so let me quote a uh, uh, recent bsf report which was submitted in uh, year 2018 to home ministry and bsf has observed trend of demographic change in jaisalmer area of uh, rajasthan now the observation which bsf has made in its report are quite alarming and those observation are uh, this increasing radicalization of muslim population in border districts of jaisalmer pokhran of rajasthan state uh, departure of traditional rajasthani culture and then rising prevalence of arab culture arab customs shrinking dialogue between communities i want your uh, attention on this point shrinking dialogue between communities a study also found a high 22 to 25% growth rate in muslim population as compared to 8 to 10% of the other communities so the native percentage population percentage is going by this pace 8 to 10% while the muslim population percentage is going by that pace 22 to 25% now you can understand the gap uh, the gap here now uh, another observation which bsf has made is that pokhran and mohangarh of jaisalmer have been seen have seen frequent visits of muslim clerics especially from deoband uttar pradesh now that apparently doesn't sounds a problem at all but when you understand that what they are trying to do there is is quite alarming and bsf has quoted that these clerics are reported to preach islamic fanaticism and seek to unite muslims as a separate ident identity with feeling of paramountcy of religion so that's where they are poisoning their minds towards their native culture so they are pumping a sort of religious supremacy in them that look you are superior and those native traditions are far more inferior than you so they are poisoning their mind and that's where the problem stands now i want to discuss our uh, army chief vipin rawat's remark on assam uh, i i have discussed it in the, my previous slides but i will discuss here in uh, some detail that on february 21st a seminar was conducted uh, titled bridging gaps in border security organized by center of, for joint warfare studies and integrated defense staff army chief made a very uh, catchy remark that Uh, planned immigration is happening in uh, assam now this man this gentleman badruddin ajmal outrightly brand his statement as he was he was playing some sort of politics and he is the acting like a spokesperson of bjp and rss
Now, I want to discuss the factual stand, standpoint of uh, Army Chief's remark. So, the planned Muslim infiltration in Assam uh, to alter demography to, to alter its demography is going long before partition. Uh, uh, the, and I have put the stats since, since year 1881. In 1881, the population percentage of Muslims is 9%. In 1931, it risen up to 19%. And in 1941, it risen up to 23%. If you go by the subdivisions, uh, then uh, the, the stats are uh, more shocking. Uh, for example, in Barpeta sub, uh, subdivision, Muslims were just 0.1% of the population in 1911 but they have uh, risen up to 49 percent in by 1941 so you can understand that uh, at the minor level uh, how this demographic change is shaping very sharply now uh, let me uh, ask you a question do you know this man any idea about him he is the key brain behind uh, changing the demography of assam any clues okay uh, fine, let me solve the puzzle. He was the Prime Minister of uh, Assam region during British India. His name was SM Sadullah. He served five times as a, as, as a Prime Minister of uh, Assam region so from 1937 to 1946. He was basically an Islamic hardliner, a poster boy of Britishers. He joined hands with Muslim League in 1937, supported cabinet mission lobby that would have placed Assam in Pakistan. Original map of if you see the original map of Muslim League before 1947, it includes all northeast India in Pakistan. Now, what this SM Sadullah actually did? Sadullah has given uh, uh, actually he has uh, given a proposal to Britishers that look, I'll import from East Bengal Muslims in an, uh, in, a, in masses to grow more foods during Second World War. And uh, Obviously, uh, Britishers accept that proposal happily. Now, later on, the both Congress and uh, the then uh, Viceroy, uh, this Lord Wavell, uh, they realized that it was actually not grow more food policy. It was actually grow more Muslim, prop, uh, Muslim strategy. Uh, I'll show you that why it was a grow more Muslim strategy. Uh, in year nine, from year 1939 to 40, that's one year of span, one lakh bigas in Brahmaputra Valley were given to those mig these migrants which this man has imported. So it is not only China who has eye on northeastern region, but even Islamic hardliners and pro-Pakistani lobbies, they also have eye on this uh, 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 in northeast region of India. Now, how Congress supported this blunder? Congress gave voting rights to 4 lakh Muslim immigrants during 1983 assembly polls. So, and now when uh, they are shouting uh, on the streets, uh, uh, agitating against NRC and uh, this cab. So that's a wonderful hypocrisy, you can see it. Uh, and when this, uh, that con this Congress has given voting rights to uh, these 4 lakh Muslim immigrants, immediately thereafter, Nilay massacre followed. Uh, any idea about this Nilay massacre? Oh, okay. Uh, it cost 3,000 lives. 3,000 uh, people were butchered like animals in this Nilay massacre and the blood is still on the hands of uh, Congress. Uh, so this Nilay massacre followed and uh, there was a commission called Tewari Commission. It was set up to, to find and probe this Nilay massacre uh, and uh, this Tewari Commission has submitted six, 600-paged report to the then Congress government. Congress committed another blunder. Congress hushed up that report. There is a fun fact here that this gentleman Badruddin Ajmal he has uh, he has moved in Assam High Court 
to 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 open up the findings of this uh, to to ask that this tewari commission report must be made public now this same gentleman is now saying that what army chief is saying that uh, is is simply politics this man actually knows that what is actually happening in assam in terms of demographic change and he is pretending as an innocent he is the man who lodged in petition in the court asked asking that tewari commission report should be made public and now he is saying that whatever concerns army chief is raising uh, in terms of demographic change in assam is 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 a plain politics so you can see that this man is outright uh, outrightly lying now uh, then again there was another blunder committed by congress that uh, this after this nilai massacre congress come up with a with a law called illegal migrants determination of tribunal act 1983 which almost made impossible to deport these outsiders so blunders after blunders committed by congress uh, and uh, what has the consequences of these blunders you can see that it encouraged bangladeshi intruders to spread not in north not in assam but to the entire northeastern region and isi recruited illicit, uh, these these migrants to make an inroads in the groups like ulfa uh, this uh, united liberation front of assam it is uh, if you see the recent reports this uh, this group ulfa has uh, is involved in this agitation of nrc also so you can understand that how this nexus is uh, building up so that's how this whole demographic story is going on in assam uh since uh, independence the, there is one more shocking fact here is that uh, if you go by the bangladesh population census 1991 then uh, it accounted that almost around 6 million people are missing from the country now you can imagine uh, where they have gone and uh, there was one uh, gentleman called bb kumar he he has wrote a book illegal migration from bangladesh you must read this book he has quoted this fact in in this book uh now did anyone correct try to correct this blunder yes uh, finally supreme court comes to our rescue in year 2005 supreme court struck down this illegal migrant determination by tribunal act 1983 for endangering the security of northeast and reducing the local people to a minority in some districts now this uh, this uh, gentleman badruddin ajmal has raised another contention that those who are in power and who have been in power must explain what is the bsf and army doing so now the question arises that did no one raise objection on this blatant illegal immigration before bipin rawat so there were series of warnings even before the warning of bipin rawat uh, and those warnings are these in 1998 assam governor general sk sinha sent a 42 page report to the president regarding an isi plot calling uh, called operation pin code to grab the chicken neck siliguri corridor and cut off the northeast from india then in 2005 west bengal governor gopal krishna gandhi warned president apj abdul kalam that the state of assam was sitting on the infiltration time bomb then in 2011 home secretary madhav god bole estimated there are 1.5 crore aliens across this northeastern region which has infiltrated from bangladesh so what army chief has said about the demography of assam was correct and it has a perspective behind it now the question of concern here is that is there any initiative from government side to address this demographic uh, challenge uh, the pres- if we if we talk about present government initiatives then we have these four initiatives uh, the first is nrc which you which you already uh, aware about then there is this caa citizenship amendment act and then we often heard about these anti conversion laws 
फोर्थ वन इज दिस पॉपुलेशन कंट्रोल लॉ दो इट हैज नॉट येट इम्प्लीमेंटेड बट लॉर्ड ऑफ बीजेपी मिनिस्टर्स आर टॉकिंग अबाउट इट सो आई हैव माई ऑब्जेक्शन ऑफ दिस गवर्नमेंट इनिशिएटिव एंड माई ऑब्जेक्शन इज दिस द प्रॉब्लम इज बोथ इन पोजिशनिंग एंड अप्रोच suppose uh, there is a building facility and that building facility is c that uh, and it was face suppose it is facing a water supply problem now uh, the building management uh, society has called a mechanic to fix the water supply problem source is there at a point and now what that part the the mechanic who who, who come to fix the problem he stood at the top at at, the, at that point b and try to fix the water supply problem uh, will he solve this problem no that's what exactly indian government is right now doing uh, now what should be the solution if i take israel as a test case see you you, you can see the map the green portion represent the arab settlement when israelis uh, israelis in 1950 they have done this uh, they have uh, bring this pro immigration law now what they are doing is they have devised a proper settlement plan they are settling their immigrants in a proper way near these arab areas so that the demography of this area get changed so do we have that sort of plan so there are real 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 problems existing here so the solution is basically dual approach based solution first is that something has to be done on the part of the government and something has to be done on the part of society as well now what has to be done on the part of government first we have to fix the constitution and then we have to take these corrective measures which we are going in the name of nrc cga and and, and all uh now it reminds me an old saying of mark twain that if your job is to eat two frogs a day then always go with the bigger one uh, because if you go with the bigger one your subsequent journey will become easy and uh, here the bigger frog is constitution not those corrective measures which we, which they are bringing with uh, this nrc and ca idea uh now once you generate this constitutional cover the picture look like looks like this now there is an umbrella cover of constitution and under that umbrella cover you are uh, you are bringing uh legislative enactments so now if somebody were uh, suppose there was a government change and they try to minimize the effect of this legislation then they are directly protected by constitution so it is not very easy than to minimize the effect of these legislations but right now the the situation is like this they are prone to get, get them uh, their effect minimized uh that's my submission thanks sujan foundation again thanks rahul ji for motivating me yeah.